Are you ready? It's gonna be in English. Is it okay? I hope you'll understand. I'll try to speak slowly. Uh, we don't have full slot in time, so I'll try to be as fast as possible. Software outsourcing is a disaster. That's why I think we need this conference. And the situation is getting worse and worse. Prices of programmers are getting higher and higher, like the previous presentation showed us. And uh, the demand for the higher quality is also going up. So the whole industry is in trouble for customers. So customers are failing more and more often. They lose money, they don't get the product in time, and they get the, the quality which they were not expecting. We as programmers are not in a bad position. We're getting more and more money. So this presentation is going to be, uh, I'll show you the lessons which I'm trying to teach my customers as being in, inside the outsourcing business. I'm trying to, to train them before they start work, working with us. I'm trying to give them the, the information of how to be a better customer in outsourcing business, how not to lose money or how to lose less money. So I'll share these lessons and you can probably teach your customers as well. There are going to be seven lessons which could be useful. Uh, why me? I'm in software business and outsourcing business for 17 years. I started my first international project 17 years ago in 2000, in the year 2000. We're, we didn't know even what outsourcing was at that time. It was just software projects. We didn't, we didn't call it outsourcing at that time. We didn't know what offshoring was. Now we have all these titles. So it was a long time ago. Since that time, I've been doing many software projects. I'm writing code myself. I'm a Java programmer myself. I was managing people, and I had a company, and I still have a company, which is doing projects. You can follow me on Twitter. I tweet about what I'm doing, so you can learn more about me. My Twitter title is on the right corner, top corner of the slide. So seven lessons. Uh, lesson number one, I'm telling my customers that we are not friends. When they come to outsourcing, they expect the outsourcing partner, me, my company, to be a friend of them. But we're not friends. We have completely opposite business uh, Yeah, we have So we have completely opposite business objectives. The customer wants the project to end. The customer wants to get the product so that the so that, that they can make money from this product. They can put it on the market. They can generate revenue. They can sell it to their customers. We programmers don't want the project to end. We want the next invoice. We want to keep the project going. We want to keep the money flowing from the customer's pocket to our pocket. This is our objective. So they want to stop. We want to continue. That's why. Can we fix that somehow? Okay, so uh, I'm telling my customers that you want this project to end, we want the project to continue. And because of that, this is the main, it's the same thing? For sure? Yeah. So it means that when, we when you succeed, we fail. When we fail, you succeed. Because of that, the customer needs to understand that the only thing which actually, that, that there has to be some mechanism to align the different objectives. So there has to be something to be invented. It's not enough to be a friend. It's not enough to know me as a person, to call me a few times a day, to be a friend. It's not going to help. Because still, my business objective is to take all of your money and, and put it in my pocket. This is not my goal to finish your project and to stop it. Because when we stop, I need to find another customer. I need to spend some more effort on sales. I need to go to the market. I need to, I need to do something extra. 
I want to keep you with me for as long as possible. And there are two different types of contracts, which are trying, which uh, uh, customers and us were trying to use. Us means programmers were trying to use in order to somehow, uh, you know, uh, stabilize this, not stabilize, but synchronize this problem and, and fix it somehow. So the first type of contract is fixed cost type of contract. You know what it is. It means that uh, the customer comes to us, we, put, we give the price, we estimate how much it's going to cost. We say, okay, it's going to be $10,000. And then we do it. This means a constant permanent war between us and the customer. Because I, as a programmer, will try to do as much as possible to increase that budget. And I will try to do as, as much as I can to protect myself against going over that budget. Every new feature, every new improvement, every new bug, I will try to fight with the customer, convincing that, 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 that company that we need more money. It's a constant war. In that war, the customer will lose. That's what I'm telling my, my clients. So you will lose because we are smarter. We are in this business for, for not for 100, but for 10 years or more. So we've been there. We've seen many of you guys who failed and failed and failed. You came to us, you bring your money, you spend all your money, there's no product, no results, and you fail. The next, the, the next client comes in. So you keep failing and failing and failing. You keep spending your money. So we are smarter. We know how to do it. We, know, we are software guys. And these people, in most cases, are not software you know, developers. They don't know how software works. So they just come to us, expect us to be friends, and they, they, they look at the number. It's $10,000. They sign the contract, but they actually sign. They lose right the moment they sign it. Because we're gonna, we're gonna win. So that contract doesn't work. The second approach is time and material. Time and material, you know what it is. It means that we're gonna work and you're gonna pay us. We're gonna spend time and we're gonna, we're gonna pay for the time you, we spend. This is more, it's getting more and more popular now in the market, but it, it means for the customer, it means you immediately lose. There's not gonna be any award. You just lose. Because again, in this situation, our goal, our objective, just to keep you coming, keep, keep paying, and we'll do everything we can for that to happen. So you will keep paying us and paying, and it's according to the contract. We're not going to violate the contract even. We're going to be strictly according to the paper. So this also doesn't work. It's not a good idea. I'll always try to compare, like, give a metaphor of the taxi driver. So the fixed cost contract means that the driver says, I'll take you to the airport for $15. In that case, one of you will lose. Either the driver will lose if there's going to be a, a, a detour, for example, and will take longer because of the traffic and everything. Then the driver will spend more time than he or she was expecting. So you, the driver will, will lose. Or you as a passenger will lose. In most cases, expect who's going to lose. You. Because the driver is way smarter. He's in this business for years. So you will pay. You will definitely spend less. He will drive less money than you're paying if this is a fixed cost contract. The second idea is that the driver says, you pay me 50 bucks an hour and I just drive for an hour, or for as long as it takes. In this case, again, it's against you as a client because the driver will take a long, long way to get to the airport, maybe make long, so many detours which are not necessary. So in this situation, you're definitely gonna lose. In the left one, maybe there's a chance that the loss will be not huge. In the right situation, which is time and material contract, the customer will lose for sure. He will drive three, two, four, ten times longer than it's necessary. So what's the right way? What's the right approach to drive? I think, if we are still in the metaphor of the taxi driver, I think the right way is to, like, let's open the Google Maps. And the Google Maps will show us what's the most effective route, 
how much time it will take, then we calculate it somehow, and then we get the price. So we're gonna drive by the map, you don't lose, I don't lose. We just take as much time as it takes. If there's gonna be some traffic, okay, it's gonna be some traffic. If it's gonna be faster, it's gonna be faster. But that's gonna be an objective validator of both of us. So we're not against each other, we just work according to the, to the maps. And the maps are, uh, the maps exist. So for the software development, we also need something like that. Fixed cost is not gonna work. Time and material is not gonna work. We need something else. We need something where somebody will validate us and we're gonna work according to the map. We need a map. Uh, we do it, now I'm finishing my first part. So we're doing it, we call it incremental billing. So we try to break down our full scope of the, of the project into small micro milestones. Not huge, it's not one milestone or like a few milestones, which usually people have, but we have micro milestones. So we deliver results like a few times a week. And the customer is, atta we're attaching the customer payment schedule to that small micro milestone. So it's kind of seems like the, the Google Maps thing. So we are delivering something and the customer gets the results and then the customer pays. So the customer is not paying for the time we spend, it's not paying for the full amount when we finish because you know it's gonna be a war. So it's micro milestones. So we're kind of minimizing the amount of conflict, the amount of destructive conflict, to really small micro milestones. You can try to do the same, you can think that direction, but what I'm saying now is that we need to teach the customer that that contract doesn't work and that contract doesn't work. But it has to be some mechanism to control how we work. The second point, I'm telling my customers that we need to know your real objective. Why are you actually doing this project? And what really, what the, the milestones means for you? What the schedule means for you? What is the real budget? Because in most cases, uh, yeah, in most people, in most cases, people just come to us and saying that I need it as soon as possible, and my budget is very limited. That's all we know. And when that information is delivered to us, it means that the customer is basically hiding the real, the reality from us. So we don't know really why that product has to be as soon as possible. What are the real objectives of the business? So why we're developing that, and what is the real limitations of the budget? The customer may come and say, I all I have is ten thousand dollars. And we say, okay, sure, we're gonna do it for you for $10,000. And then in a month, we're saying that, you know, it's gonna cost you 15 because there's some extra features. And he says, okay, sure, he approves 15. So why did you say 10 in the first place? So the 10 was a lie. So he just said 10 in order to limit us. So he didn't disclose the reality. He didn't share real objectives with us. He just gave us something to try to control us. Again, I'm telling to my customers, you're not gonna control us that way. We are smarter. We know what you're doing. We know that you're just afraid to spend 15, and that's why you're saying 10. Instead, you need to give us the real information about what's going on. In that case, maybe we will kind of try to understand that, and we will understand that, okay, that guy has actually 15. So maybe we need to, you know, to spend a little bit less in order to keep the customer longer with us. So we will try to be on the same, on the same page with you. Most customers are not doing that. They're just saying, as soon as possible, the budget is limited, they just, no more money, no more spending, and then after a year, we'll look at the, at the numbers and see like, you said no more, but you spent 100,000 with us already. So why do we saying no more? So that, that turns a customer into a cash cow. So hiding that information and pretending that I'm not gonna tell you anything, just do it, and, and you don't need to know anything about my real objectives. We just treat that customer as a cash cow. Okay, you're not telling us anything? No problem, just pay us. And then the customer keeps paying, paying, and we're, actually becoming enemies, I mean internally. Even though we pretend to be friends, 
But if we don't know what's going on, if we don't know why there's a real, what is the real schedule, what is the real objective, or why it has to be delivered by the end of June, because I have a meeting with my investor in July, that's a real answer to the question, why? We need to know why. It's not gonna be just, it has to be by the end of June because I say so. It's not gonna work with us. Again, we're smarter. If you say like that, it's not gonna be delivered by the end of June and you will still pay. So you need to explain us that if the, by the end of June is not in my hands, then, then I'm not gonna get the extra budget and then we're all gonna get into trouble. Most customers don't do that. They just keep us in the dark. They just, they just treat us as quite you know, dumb partners who are supposed just to write software. It's not helping, neither us nor them. Number three, we have seven. Uh, number three, most customers don't want to get the bad news from us. They just expect good news. Everything is good, no bugs, the product works, it's delivered, it's shippable, everything is cool. The reality is different. Software development is full of troubles, full of mistakes. We all create bugs, it fails, we can't deploy it. We lose people, we lose the team. We, there are so many risks. But most customers are saying, like, don't, don't tell me that, that, that information. I'm just, they're just afraid to get that. What happens is they isolate themselves. They isolate themselves by rejecting the bad news. So if they don't want to hear that, if they don't want to hear about problems, if they don't want to know what's, what's wrong on our side, then they, they got into isolation. And we stop delivering them the truth. So we start lying. So by rejecting bad news, you're actually training us, I'm talking to a customer, you're training us to lie to you. You're training us to give you the reality which is not, which is not real. We will, we will show you something which doesn't exist. And then you will be in isolation. So you'll be somewhere sitting with your cash, waiting for the product, and we'll be here controlling the situation because we know the situation. We know how many bugs is there. We know how many troubles we have. We know what's gonna happen in the future. We know that. We know which programmer will quit the team next month because we know, we have this information. But you don't want to hear that, so we're not telling you that. So eventually when the person quits, you lose. It's not, it's not really good. Again, most people, most, most customers, they, um, we need to, we, we tr we're trying to, to, te to teach them, to, to explain them that the team works effectively if it works towards project objectives, not emotions of the customer. So the team, the programmer, the managers, they should not work to please the customer, to see the happy smile on his face. It's wrong. There, we have objectives, project objectives, and if the customer is not happy, but the project is successful by the objective, it's okay. This is what we want. So in some situations, customer may be unhappy. The customer may be unsatisfied, may be in a bad mood because something goes in the wrong direction, but it's still good for the project. Is this, is this cycle, like emotionally really difficult for people with money because they expect to pay money, they expect to be happy? But software development is way more complicated process than just buying a, a hamburger in a, shop, in a restaurant. So they expect, I pay you, you deliver me, I'm happy. It doesn't happen that way. So the customer has to be prepared to be non-happy, unhappy, unhappy, but always focus on project objective, which are stability of, de of deployment, the quality of code, the effectiveness of user interface, the, the, the success uh, response from, from test users, for example. So let's say we're testing the product against the, 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 the focus group of customers and the focus group says, no, we don't like the product. It's actually a good result for us that we, that we actually 
we're able to test and get the feedback and now we know which direction to go. But the customer is unhappy. Like, hey, I was expecting great result. So because of that emotions, the next time we're not gonna test anything. You want to be happy, we'll show you the product just to you. We're not gonna test it on the test users, we just show it to you. Are you happy? Happy, great, pay us. You pay us, eventually in the end, project objectives are not satisfied, you are happy. So it shouldn't happen. So emotions of the customer, should, we were training customers, don't pay attention to emotions, try to focus on project objectives. So again, the bottom line is that the ideal situation is that the team deliver, delivers to customers the risk list. It has to be frequently updated list of, pro, of, of risks. So what may happen, how we may fail, we may lose the leading Java developer, we may lose uh, the, one of the products which we're using right now may go out of the market. We may uh, fail with this test. We don't have a professional UI designer, so what we have right now may not be a good design. This is the list of risks. And this list of risks has to be coming from the team to the customer, not the other way around. So the customer is listening, the, the team is delivering. The team is telling the customer, these are the problems we potentially may have in the future. We may have them, just you need to know about them. So few teams actually are doing that. I've seen none of them. So none of them are doing that, they're trying to hide that information. Because like I said, the customer trained us to do that. They're just saying, no, no bad news, no, only good news. I don't want to see that risk list. In one team, in one project, I tried to do that. And it was a European project and I delivered that to uh, German customers. And they watched that, they saw that, they said, thank you very much for that document, can you delete that please? Just don't show it to us, not to me, not to my manager, just, it's a great document, thanks guys. I appreciate you doing that, but put it somewhere else. That's, I literally get that response for three years. They don't, they don't want that, they're afraid of, of seeing that. Number four, I'm telling my customers that you have to be pessimistic and expect, uh, and expect the product to, expect problems and expect that our product will be bad, not good. This is a very, very typical, a very typical mindset of new customers, of people in the outsourcing, in, in anything, software business. So they find the right team, they are so glad that they actually found good programmers, they're happy with that decision, they've been searching, they've been Googling, they've been asking friends, Finally, they know this is the team which will work for me, and I trust that team, a team of professionals. We are friends, they're gonna give me good news, everything will be fine. And then in two years, they're just saying, who actually recommended me that, guys? Can I find a new team? Because the previous team was terrible, horrible. Never do business with them. This is a really typical scenario. They find a new team, and now they fall in love. That's the team who will do everything for me. This is wrong, this approach creates nothing, it's unprofessional. Software development is, again, it's not the delivery of one thing which, is, which works or doesn't work. It's a complicated process full of problems. So you shouldn't trust us. You shouldn't trust us blindly. You should trust our process. You should trust our thinking. But should, you should not just blindly say, you're the professionals, do it your way, I trust you completely. No, you need to find a mechanism. We're gonna talk about them right now. You need to find a mechanism of how to control us, how to make sure that we're actually going where we're going, like in the taxi. You sit down in the taxi, but if you're a smart you know, passenger, you're gonna control the driver sometimes. Like check this, the, this, the, the meter, like how fast he's driving. Check whether the, the, the car is in a good condition. So you need to care about that if you care about your security. You can't just say, you can, whatever, take me to the airport. Whatever, I don't care how you drive, how fast, how good is your car. Do you have a license, do you have, doesn't matter, just take me there. 
Well, you can do that. In some situations, you will get to the airport, but sometimes you will fail miserably. So this is wrong. And now the question, so that's the point. So verify earlier. Usually people, what happens usually is that they, they trust, they trust, they trust, and then in a year when 90% of the budget is spent, then they realize something is going wrong. I can't really trust that team because they're going somewhere where I don't know. There is no map, basically. So we're driving somewhere, yeah, but the airport is that way. And we're driving somewhere there. So maybe it's time to correct our direction, but it's too late. So you need to be pessimistic. You need to start being pessimistic. I'm telling that to my customers. Be pessimistic as early as possible, from the first day. When we sign the contract, the first question is, how do I check you guys? How do I know that you're actually doing a good job? It's not like, okay, when are you gonna deliver? In three months, okay, good, call me when it's done. It's not gonna work like that. We call, we're gonna call you, definitely, but it's not gonna be the airport, it's gonna be somewhere else, some other place. And now the main point of this presentation. So I think that the best, one of the, not the best, but one of the instruments of actually checking the team and, and actually controlling the team and, and seeing what's going on is to have technical auditors, technical, technical reviews of what we're doing. What needs to be reviewed? So I'm talking about external audits. So the team is there, I'm the customer, the team is working there, and every like few weeks or maybe once a month, I'm hiring somebody, some, ex, some technical expert, to come to the team and see what's going on. And check me, how these guys are driving actually? Are we still going to the airport? That's the main question. So that, that's called external audit. So I'm not asking them how it's going on, like what are you doing, how high is your quality, because they're definitely gonna lie, no question about that. So I hire somebody outside, and that person comes to the team, reviews what's going on, spends like half a day on that, and gives me the report, and saying now your team is driving actually not to the airport, but well, it's closed, but not directly there. So if you correct them a little bit, if you ask, if you ask this, this, and that, they will correct them. So we need to check quality of what, what this person has to check, the quality of code. So review the source code, see what's going on. The test coverage, what, what, how covered we are with the unit testing. Continuous integration, continuous delivery, do we have that? Uh, database schema, how designed is the persistence layer? Uh, test reports, do we have test reports after manual testing? Logs, statistics of the server. So these things are the main, the most important things to, to check during the audit. This is what you have to ask, I'm telling my customers, this is what you have to ask from the audit. And a few recommendations how to do that reviews. First of all, start immediately. Don't wait. Start from the first day of the project. Just immediately schedule that and say, hey guys, I just hired you. Expect the technical audit to happen every two weeks. Second, review regularly. It, it shouldn't be when something goes wrong. It should be when something goes right. So when everything is fine, they're developing, you need to have these audits regularly. They need to know, the team has to know that somebody will come in every two weeks, for example. The team will have to, has to be prepared for that, has to expect that. You need to invite only experts. So these people who you hire, they have to be a few levels higher than the team you have. So if you're, for example, paying for the team, for the programmers in your team like $25 an hour, then this person has to be 100 bucks an hour. So it has to be a way more expensive person with more knowledge. You cannot hire that people in your team full time, but you can hire them for half a day or one day. So they have to be really experts on the market. That's how you're gonna get the information. Because if the, low, if the, low, the level is gonna be lower here, how can the audience work? You need to rotate them. So don't hire the same person again and again because they will become friends. That person will come to the team, they will inevitably become friends and they will learn what's going on, they will get used to that code and they will start to understand it more than, than he should. So it has to be a new person every time, just coming in and saying, hey guys, what are you doing? Show me everything. 
And then every time it's going to be really, this is how you do that. So every time it has to be a concern. And that, that concern will have to come back to you. Uh, review everything, not just source code. So don't just pay attention to the source code, to everything. Your process, your tickets, your schedule, your agenda, how you manage programmers, how you, how you change your servers, everything. So not just the source code. Expect criticism. Most people, when they hire the same problem, most people, they hire experts to review what's going on. They expect that expert to come back and say, it's great. Your team is doing so great. Well, because I just spent like $20,000 on these guys for the last three months, so of course I'm expecting something like that. And then that, that person returns back to me and saying, you know, you actually wasted half of your money. I don't want that information, like emotionally. So people don't expect criticism. And they punish that review. When the reviewer brings that knowledge, they say, okay, I'm not gonna work with you anymore. I need a reviewer who brings me good news. It shouldn't happen, so expect criticism. And uh, expect, again, expect them to be negative, not positive. Prohibit discussion, that's important. So you should not allow that person, that reviewer, to communicate with the team intensively because the reviewer has to look at the artifacts, digital papers, documents, logs, everything which is digified not talk to people because people may i mean it's going to be the information which you will lose eventually if you lose the team you're going to lose the, the information so everything has to be inside the product so everything has to be understood by that person just looking at the product just looking at documents and this is an interesting suggestion so i would recommend that's what we are doing i would recommend to pay that person for the bugs the person finds expect criticism so if that person returns back to you everything is fine it's great i like how they work okay there's no nothing for you this is ten dollars but if you bring me like a list of 20 problems which you found, okay, there is $200. So we are doing, I mean, you cannot maybe just attach directly dollar to bug and bug to dollar, but something like that. The more from the more trouble you find, the more troubles you find, the more I pay. And the final one, be honest with the team. So don't tell them, don't, don't hide, don't, I mean, explain them what's going on. Explain them that, you know, I care about the quality. I care about how you guys work, and I want to work with you longer. I want to finish with you the project. I want to get to the airport. I don't want to stop in the middle and change you and drive with another driver. So I want to get to the airport. In order to get that, I need an expert who will help you to improve what you have. And you need a lot of, you, you definitely have a lot of room for, for the improvement. And if the, if the team is professional, they will appreciate that. They will like it that you're paying extra money to teach them something, to bring them some extra knowledge. So they will wait for that expert. Because they will understand there's no negativity from you coming. So you're not actually punishing them. You're not uh, uh, doubting their qualifications. You're not judging them. You're just saying you need help and I'm providing that help for you in a constructive way. So I'm giving you the expert every once in a while. And the final one, follow up. So when, yeah, so we have five minutes. So when the final point is the follow up. So when you get the report from that reviewer, you need to follow up. Don't just put it in the table. I'm talking to my customers. So I'm explaining them. You need to look at the reports and then come back to the team and tell them what to do, what to improve. If that person says that the continuous delivery is not configured, it means that it has to be configured. So it has to, you know, you have to do something with it. Uh, two more points I have, which are quite small. So that was the main, the main subject. Now we have a few more minutes, so two more points, which are actually going to save the customer. Automate deployment. This is a really typical mistake. Customers don't want to see, they cannot see how the product is packaged, built, deployed, and they just trust the team. When the team crashes for some reason, the team like you know disappears for some reason, then the customer doesn't have anything, or just a, a bunch of Java files which they can't do anything with. So they just look at them and say, how can I turn that into my mobile application? There's no way. 
So the deployment has to be automated. It has to be in one click. So the customer should be able to click a button and get the full deployment pipeline triggered. So the product has to go to production. In most cases, it doesn't happen. That's really important. And we need to do deployment frequently, like once a week or more frequently. So the customer, if that's the paying customer, it's a smart customer, has to click the button a few times a week and see how, boom, this whole code is packaged, configured, tested, everything, and goes to production. And boom, the new website is there. So my product is version number 0.57. I click the button, it's 58. Great. If that is configured, you're more or less safe as a customer. You're not going to have trouble. And the final one. Final one is that if you're a smart customer, you need to find a way how to reward your team and how to punish your team for the results they achieve. In most cases, customers punish us with uh, emotions and they reward us with a, with a, with a wire transfer, transfer by the end of the month. It's not enough. So again, we are smarter. We're smarter than that mechanism. It was okay 20 years ago. It was okay 15 years ago. Now programmers are way smarter and we can deal, we know how to deal with your emotions, we know how to deal with your lack of payments and everything. So you need to find a way how to find a fine-grained mechanism of, of rewarding us for the results we deliver and for punishing us for when we miss or when we deliver or when the quality goes down, find it. I don't know how it works in, in, in your case, in your teams, with your customers, but you need to find it. If you just say, if you, if you don't ask your customer to invent that, if you don't suggest your customer how you guy, how you, Mr. Customer, gonna gonna reward us when we deliver something successfully, then you're doing yourself a bad job. I'm finishing. This is the link on my blog about this article. So I wrote it about two years ago, but it looks like this information is still still valid. So you can check it out and read it later. If you have questions after, we don't have time right now. We have to finish. Thank you. What's happening?